Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I am excited uh, because, no, honestly, you're not. no, I'm not excited. Well, I just, I'm teasing you because you even brought it up one time where you're like, I'm I know. excited. <laughs> I legitimately, like, I think about it every time. It's like, all right, what's another way to introduce this? And I cannot think of another way that feels natural other than I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. But I can vouch that you truly are excited. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was talking to Leach. Leach said that we need a super cut of every different episodes. I'm excited and just see how it changes <laughs> per week. Because I don't think this is a spoiler, but it might tie in uh, with uh, somebody pointed out online how if you watch the previously on WandaVision, it gets yeah. less and less enthused over time. Ooh, I'm going to have to double check that. Okay. Yeah. It'll be fun to like trace the different ways that I came in and said I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> But no, uh, what I was going to say, I am genuinely excited because, um, as people know, you and I are both in Texas. Uh, I wasn't sure if this episode was going to happen. And so I'm I'm very grateful that uh, we are finding some time to do this. Yeah, same here. <laughs> you know what? It's still cold here. Not nearly yeah. like what it was. And you know what? That's interesting because we recorded, you know, we record every Friday night. And I remember last podcast talking about wearing my beanie in the closet because it was cold <laughs> and the storm coming. And I just didn't realize. And, you know, I mean, I've had ice and snow before, mm-hmm. but it wasn't anything. The experience was very different. It wasn't anything like before. Yeah, this this was a lot more extreme than it's been in you know previous times. I think since 97, uh, at least where I live, has been the last time it's hit this hard before. Right. So 97, that was my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember the ice storm that hit. We had a week off of school. I was still working at the grocery store. And I went from working like three or four days a week to I worked every day that week. Wow. Like I I just, they just added me the rest of the day. So I drove to work in the ice and I remember moving tree branches out of the road that would fall from the trees out in our front yard and, you know, clearing the way and then going to, going to, to work. The hardest thing I remember, like I had a standard at that time. And at the end of our road is that little like hill, like it's that you go up and with the ice and a standard trying to go up that hill and worrying about it's a T intersection, worrying about other cars coming. And it was just, that was nerve wracking. Um, Again, being a senior in high school, trying to trying to do that, I remember that being nerve wracking. Our experience is completely different because I believe <laughs> I was like six or seven, and I remember being really disappointed because the week before that, I was really into building forts, but because everybody was coming over to our house to kind of like stay warmed up, I couldn't steer the uh, the blankets because we were trying to pass them along. <laughs> so that's where my seven six year old mind was. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. <laughs> so funny. Okay. Oh, well, just to just to put it out there, I I I you know I think we've both been fortunate um, with with our luck with the storm, but uh, I know like just looking on our analytics side, we got a large portion of people that are in Texas and other surrounding areas. So um, I just wanted to say that I hope you're doing well. I know it's been really tough, and um, I, yeah, I just hope people are doing well if they're listening to this. Yeah. Yeah, because I know, again, for me, we experienced the rolling blackouts. I know people uh-huh. that had just outright blackouts. We got lucky with our water. I know some people that had, you know, were having to boil their water. 
some people that were didn't have water and were having to go out and melt snow mm-hmm. uh, to have water to you know flush the toilet and all kinds of stuff like that. And so I really hope anybody in Texas or anybody in general, but listening yeah. to this, um, that that they're doing well by the time they get around to hearing this. Mm-hmm. Well. We are going to be talking about WandaVision Season 1, Episode 7, Breaking the Fourth Wall. And normally what we've been doing before we jump in to the meat of the episode is talking about corrections. Uh, Being completely honest, with the Texas storm and everything that's happened, I have not gotten a chance to listen to this episode, or last week's episode, to double check for any errors, nor were we contacted on Twitter. So I'm just going to assume that we were perfect, Um, if you're cool with that. I'm good. First time for, <laughs> I don't want to say first time for everything, but first time maybe for this season because we weren't contacted, I think, during some of the other episodes. But, you know, yeah. And again, I I listened to it when I edited it. That was my week to edit. Um, uh-huh. But I always love to go back and listen to it on the drive uh, afterwards and just to hear it because it's just a very different, it's a very different listen when I'm not editing and I, oh yeah, uh, I, well, my phone, I wasn't even taking phone calls at one point and sending text messages. So there was no <laughs> way I was getting that episode, <laughs> a listen through, you know, through the player. But yeah, all that being said, uh, even if we don't have corrections this time, if there's ever anything, you can always reach us on social media at MCU need to know on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. So with corrections out of the way, that's going to lead us into our pre spoiler thoughts. So this is going to give us a chance to say anything that we wanted to do about the episode uh, before jumping into the meat of it. By the end of this, you'll hear an audio cue, and on the other side of the audio cue, we will be getting into spoilers. So before we get there, Jude, do you have any pre spoiler thoughts? I think it's interesting this episode because I remember saying episode six was my favorite, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that that this episode got me thinking was. Was how much style had to do with it? Because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that Malcolm in the Middle '90s style they had, and this one stylistically, I don't think grabbed me as much. And I don't know if that was—I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it had less to do with the Wandavision episode versus like my preference of sitcom television stylistically. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a hundred percent. And I and I. Yeah, and I, so I just found it interesting that the change in style had that much of an impact in me watching it. What about you? You know, that's funny that you say that because I think my pre-spoiler thoughts are tied a little bit to what you're saying. Uh, the thing that I walked away with is I think this episode is the best example of the worst case scenario of what we thought this show could have been. Uh, specifically where we were mentioning that the pacing would be a problem if they spent too long trying to to fool us into thinking it was real. Mm-hmm. Because of the way last week's episode ended, where it feels like the jig is up, going back into that conceptual sitcom formula felt like it was overstaying its welcome. And so it didn't like conceptually grab me as much as some of the other ones did. And I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting to note that the two episodes of this season so far that were my least favorite were the ones where the sitcom didn't feel as married to the show that they were drawing inspirations from. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say this because I do want to make sure to like end on a positive. I think despite feeling like we it was a little dragging in places they took a lot of emotional swings that i think have been building up that i did appreciate cool so let's talk about those emotional swings all right well then let's go ahead and jump into the most important topic so like i said you'll hear an audio cue and on the other side we'll join you 
All right, we're back. I had the Twilight Zone theme playing in my head while we sat in silence. <laughs> and the, you know, it, and the audio cue was supposed to be playing, or will be playing. It's so weird because <laughs> nobody knows. Why do I stay quiet? <laughs> it could be just a simple cut. I know, I know, I know. We both do it. We're just like sit there in silent like we're waiting for it to be over. And it's something we completely edit in. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, so... Now that we're on this side of the spoiler warning, uh, the way we've been breaking this down week to week is we talk about the most important topics of the episode as a jumping off point, and then any stray thoughts we catch at the end. So the first starting point for the most important topic is Wanda's staycation. Now, this... <laughs> What's that? I was just going to say, I find it funny that like that is like her punishment for, what, for expanding uh-huh. the hex, is like, I'm going to just... Take a day to me, like stay, like, <laughs> like that'll show me. <laughs> it it is one, yeah. It's 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 tongue in cheek, but also as we're starting to learn more of maybe what's being done to Wanda, it is kind of a chilling look into convincing someone that the best remedy is to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. And so it almost had like a scary feeling to it too. But it's not something that I appreciated until the second watch through after having seen the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. But I, but speaking of, you know, the staycation, I believe the line was specifically a quarantine-style staycation or something like that. Yes. I wonder if this episode was either had pickups or was filmed after COVID-19. Uh, you know what? Because there, it felt like... The, I would say, I know there were, there were some production stuff they still had to go back and do. Uh-huh. And most things standard will schedule in reshoots. Like, like sometimes you hear, oh, they're going to reshoots and, and people get worried about it must not be good or something like that. But it's pretty standard now to schedule reshoots. Yeah. I, this has to be one. It really mm-hmm. has to be one. Well, because I was going to say it felt like there was a noticeably less amount of people interacting on screen than some of the previous episodes, uh, especially in those scenes where Wanda's kind of alone in the house. Um you know, Vision and Darcy or Dr. Lewis being together. I don't know if it's the case. That's just the feeling I had. And it doesn't really matter to WandaVision itself. I just thought it was an interesting note that in our media, there's going to be like this defining line of like pre and uh, post uh, COVID-19 production. Yeah. And you know what? I'm wondering how much of that's going to stick out. Like now I feel like I'm getting slightly off topic. But that I is, know, me too. <laughs> but that, I mean, but that is a moment that if it was pickups and by numbers, you're trying to keep the numbers down. Uh-huh. And other things, other other media that comes out, is that going to be noticeable in their production? You know, because like in terms of style, cinematography. Oh, guess what? We're using cell phones instead of phone booths. You know, you know, there's things that you can clearly see that is a, a virtue of the time. You know, mm-hmm. or or especially things that they even just reference. You right. know, uh, culturally speaking, that that dates. You know, the the text, so to speak. So so in in that way. I think we're definitely going to see a lot more of that. So jumping back into the episode itself, uh, one of the things that I that stuck out the most to me is when Wanda delivered the line, I'm starting to believe that everything is meaningless. I think it's safe to say, or at least for me, it feels like Wanda has been fully broken. And mm-hmm. the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was that that scene with Pietro where she discovers that he isn't who he says he is, despite that initial like, Hey, you don't look the same, but he was able to give enough convincing answers to maybe somehow make her feel like it was. But to come into this episode, it feels like that 
like the anger that she had whenever one of the twins asks about trusting Uncle Pietro, she just has a lash out. And then the rest of it is just talking about how she really can't trust what's going on around her. Uh, that was that was really hard to watch. Yeah. Well, it was. It was a quick switch, right? And I did. I, I appreciated and found funny. I'm your mom. As such, you're counting on me to have all the answers. Well, I don't. <laughs> I have no answers. Zip, zero zilch. Like, I loved it. And and just the whole, especially the, at the end, because you get two things that I loved about it. A, it, the end where it's like, you're welcome to draw your own conclusions, of course, but this is just where I'm at. And I could catch the boys, just the weird looks at each other, like, oh, mom's cracking up. But also there was mm-hmm. a few glances right at camera. So it kept that 2000s breaking the fourth wall modern family style, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I enjoyed that. Because I, like, I did enjoy Modern Family. I watched Modern Family, you know, as a sitcom, never really got into the office, late to the game on Parks and Rec, and that was all fourth and, you know, fourth wall breaking style. You know, so I really liked that. And I liked the whole, maybe we went a little too dark there. Vision is made of vibranium, literally inherited tough skin, you know. So so I, I liked uh, all of that that conversation, you know. But there was a weird sense of, like, humor, you know. But there's also a clear, like, reality of, no, she is in a mess right now. Yeah. And it's physically showing up with, like, the milk, you know, m- making those changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? This is a fine line for them to walk. And I feel like they did a good job with it. How so? How do you show in a sitcom, you know, situation comedy style, someone truly dealing with uh, like mental issues, mental trauma, but yet you're p- trying to pull off like we know she has it and we know that's what's going on. But you're also trying to pull it off in a comedic way for the sake of the sitcom mm-hmm. and the style you're trying to spoof. So in, in that way, it's a fine balance of like, how do you take it, handle it and treat the topic seriously, but also have that element of humor to where it's not inappropriate, like you're making fun of it, mm-hmm. you know, and I do think they pulled that off well. Yeah. And I think this scene is a good example of it because it's funny, the whole, the kids, you know, looking at her like it's weird, you know, mom's breaking up, but there's, there's also a... a, a a weight to it um, and, and and how she's delivering the lines and everything that I thought was really good. What did you take, speaking of these kind of like breaking the fourth wall, the toast, testimonial shots that a, a lot of the, the characters had, but since we're in Wanda, uh, the Wanda section, focusing on that one, what does it mean to have Wanda openly address about intentionally expanding the hex and the fake world you've created, to use her words? For, because we saw her expand the hex last episode, but this is the first time I think we've seen her admit to creating the fake world. And I don't know how what you read from that. Um, I think it's yeah. interesting in that up until that point, she was in denial. Mm-hmm. Like she was, you know, Vision wanted to talk about it. And she's like, we'll talk later. Let's just, oh, what do you want to do? Just go watch TV. And she rolls credits on them, you know, and they have the fight. So you have this... In denial, in a weird way, Pietro, if it's Pietro, shows up at the right time to stop the fight. And then after that, you have Pietro and Wanda's conversation where she's finally breaking 
I'm breaking down is not the right word, where she's finally willing to admit, like, yeah, I did this. Mm-hmm. You know, Pietro is getting her to admit that. And so I think in that way, there she's like coming to terms with, wow, I'm doing this. I did this. What's going on with me? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, that's the way I took it. Right. For me, it's this feeling of, I don't want to say given up, but maybe after fighting against the reality for so long, it's kind of that resignation to it. Like, okay, I created this. Everybody's telling me I did this. I did this. And it fits in line, I think, with the general mood because she doesn't want to get out of bed. She doesn't want to open the door. It's just kind of like letting things happen because she feels like she has no control. And I think that plays, again, back into that line of believing everything is meaningless. And it, and that also pairs up with that line of uh, when they were talking about vision. If he doesn't want to be here, then there's nothing I can do about it. That feels very decisive for someone who was risking everything to save them. So it feels like a switch to me from the last episode to this episode where I guess what I'm getting at is for so long we've talked about this reset being for vision getting reset to go along with reality. I wonder how much of that is 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 Wanda being reset from last week to this week, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think so. Only mm-hmm. because I think it's a realization of like she made this world for her and Vision to live in. Mm-hmm. And in the previous episode, we found out Vision lied to her. It went on his little mission. She found out he lied to her through Herb. And so she's like creating this world trying to give him as much free will and agency as possible so they can live together as a you know, married couple and wonderful life. And that's falling apart. And she's mm-hmm. having to do everything to hold it together, including openly expanding the hex, you know, doing things that make her feel out of control, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, I think it's when you get that line, well, if he doesn't want to be here, there's nothing I can do about it still lends to this idea of vision has his agency and she's allowing him to have that. Mm -hmm. And this is the ramifications and I can't make a perfect world as much as I want, as much as, as hard as I try, I can't make things perfect. Mm -hmm. So another thing that stood out to me and kind of this staycation section, which isn't just this opening scene. I know a lot of it is taking place in the opening scene, but there, there was more shots of, Wanda being alone after Agnes decided to take care of the kids. And the one that stood out to me the most specifically is when Wanda, I think, is giving her second or third testimonial. And somebody off screen says, do you think that maybe this is what you deserve? Yeah. And so I know we're not ready to talk about it yet, but we know who's asking this by the end of the episode. And I was trying to figure out what the point of guilt tripping Wanda was. I was thinking a lot of last week's episode where uh, Pietro, in quotation marks, has the line about something along the lines of causing conflict with the brother-in-law, getting in trouble with the Rugrats, and giving you grief. Uh, That last part specifically quoted, giving you grief to Wanda. And the first time that I saw that scene, I took it as like giving grief as like being an annoyance. But thinking about it from last week to this week, I started to see it for the other interpretation give grief as far as like despair for somebody that was lost somebody that died right and it makes me wonder if that plays more into whatever the potential motive is for that line of do you think that maybe this is what you deserve almost as if there's a motive of like feeding off wanda's grief if that makes sense to like constantly reminding of her of it 
And it started to paint a little bit clearer picture for me, I think, of what might potentially be going on here. See, that's interesting, because what you just said reveals how you read the scene based off of your orchestrator theory. Uh Because I'm not, I'm a lot closer than I was, but I wasn't 100% sold on it. I had a different read on it, right? So, like, you see it, like, okay, there's this orchestrator and guilt trip and things like that. Whereas my initial take from it was we're seeing Wanda in the beginning in, in, in this comical kind of way, right? You've got a case of the Mondays, mm-hmm. like great office space reference. But, which it wasn't a 2000s show, but that was clearly an office <laughs> space reference, but we'll let that pass. Um, you know, but I, again, it was later in the episode as far as the interview style. And she's at a point where she's saying, I don't understand why it's all falling apart and why I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's even your, your show, they're showing her slipping on her grasp of control mm-hmm. in this trying to maintain control. And so to me, when I hear the voice, do you think maybe this is what you deserve? If Wanda's doing all this, like, A, she got caught off guard. What? You're not supposed to talk. Like losing control of that reality. That person wasn't supposed to talk, not just sitcom style wasn't supposed to talk, but even in Wanda's head. That's slipping, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. But there's also an element of, you know, when you when you think about mental health and depression, anxiety, you or people can get very overwhelmed with this, I deserve this, mm-hmm. even when they don't, uh, and get stuck in that, you know, and and believe that whatever bad things are going on, whether they're actually going on or not, the feeling of them they deserve. And so in in that way, I'm taking it like, this is her reality that she's creating. And so that question, do you think maybe this is what you deserve? Isn't necessarily a guilt, an intentional guilt tripping of her as much as it's some other part of her conscience that's controlling the reality coming out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and working through that. Like, oh, maybe I do deserve this as she's losing control and and things like that. And, And that's the way... At this point, you know, just watching it start to finish, that's the way I first took that scene. You know, and that would make sense, too, because we've already noted in previous episodes the way we talked about the commercials being a subconscious trauma level, driven level thing. If the reality is breaking, if this is Wanda, the reality is breaking, that seeping through would make 100% sense because it's already been established in the subconscious commercial stuff. Right. Well, and, and you say that the commercial was the next scene. And the commercial was a parody spoof of a prescription drug commercial for antidepressant, mm-hmm. which, again, is one of those things where they walked a fine line and did it really, really well because they're spoofing an antidepressant commercial. And when you look at the side effects and, and those types of things, it's like that could be easily read in a way of downplaying or minimizing mental health and depression, it, you know. Side effects include feeling your feelings, confronting your truth, seizing your destiny, and possibly more depression. Like, you know, yeah. it was like, like they had to do it just right, which I, for me, they did. But, 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 it, and that's what I say, they did such a good job of balancing that. But that's what immediately followed this scene of her saying, I, why is things falling apart? And you get the question, why, you know, do you think you deserve this? You know, it's so funny that you say, the fine line, because I on my first watch, this commercial, I was on the idea that it was on the wrong side of that line. I was like, OK, this feels 
I don't know. It does feel trivializing a little bit. But after seeing the entire episode, the read becomes a lot different because the, well, let me see. The read stays the same, but the understanding of it is different on the second rewatch. So for me, the commercial felt like it was a jab at Wanda. It felt incredibly antagonistic in a way. Mm -hmm. And where all the other ones, I think, felt more sympathetic. Maybe not last week's, but all the other ones felt a little more sympathetic towards Wanda's trauma. And this one was just like, like mocking in a way. Using that same like side effects, maybe seizing destiny, uh, more yeah. more depression. Yeah. That's well, what I got. Yeah, I'm gonna say that's not my only read, and I'm gonna save that for later. But I can easily see where that reading would co- go from. Like, I, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I completely see it there. Yeah, you know, and again, I I find those commercials funny in the sense of like yeah. all the long side effects. So I was like, oh, you did it well. But I completely see how how that can be read either way. Um, mm-hmm. Also, if the commercials are, and I guess this is also why I didn't, I thought it was on the right side or the correct side of the line, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If the commercials are tracing Wanda's, you know, history of like, oh, here's her and Pietro with Stark bomb ticking and Strucker. And, and, and if we're tracing that, her history up to the point, the commercials, I feel like caught up with present day. And so in that way, I didn't think of it as a jab because it was like, Oh, we just, we just in her historical biography commercials caught up to where we're at now. All right. So one last thought on the male voice. Do you think maybe this is what you deserve? Wanda's response. What? You're not supposed to talk in the, okay. In this style of television, I don't remember. There was no response from the interview that I can recall. So in that case, I did question was, does Wanda believe herself to be alone when the voice comes out of nowhere? Like, like interview style, you assume somebody's on the other side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because of her reaction of them talking, it wasn't clear to me of like, was that like a disembodied voice, you know? <laughs> or was she really reacting to somebody on the other side? Because we didn't get to see this. And again, I know we sort of get an answer and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But that's still, I think the question for me still stands only because... If she believes herself to be alone when she's doing that, then that really adds to what's happening to her through all this. Right. And it's not just, oh, you behind the camera, you know, whoever that was at this point broke with the format. See, this is what I mean when I was talking about in my pre-spoiler thoughts where I felt like this theme, this invoking the Office-style mockumentary wasn't as married to the story because it it opens up a lot of questions of stuff like that that I think when this is all said and done, we're going to find out it's, oh, we were just supposed to suspend our disbelief. But sticking with just this moment in particular, and you talked about not having a response before there are some instances in the office where that does happen where the person behind the camera does talk so there is precedent for it okay but it doesn't make sense uh you know i I was dancing around this but i realized as far as the way we have things structured there's no real good place to talk about it so i'll put it here hayward specifically gets told the broadcast is offline yes so nobody is seeing this broadcast and the broadcast is still happening why what is the I, I'm almost positive my my theory about Wanda doing this is an SOS shot. But if if the broadcast is not happening, why go through all the trouble of testimonials from Wanda from other characters we'll see later? Yeah. Why is the charade still going? I had the same note. 
broadcast is dead air, no signal. Mm-hmm. So within Westview, they're still functioning as a sitcom, but not being broadcast. Is this like, is this part of her day off? Like, or something else? Like, like that was really, you know, so like within Westview, they were still doing the sitcom. Yeah. But then it, you're right. That was kind of, that line there was, was interesting. Um, but, and it could have been just an easy fix of like, to be honest, a scene of dialogue of easy fix of like, at this point, if we're not broadcasting, we as viewers are in Westview. We're not watching it. Right. So that, that actually changes our perspective. Right. We're not watching something. Mm-hmm. We're actually in Westview. And we talked about the different formatting. Right. About mm-hmm. about when when to know are we watching or we in Westview. Um, and so it could have just been an easy fix, di- you know, dialogue wise to kind of establish early on when we're in Westview, we're in Westview. We're not watching anything. But then why does Wanda get testimonials? I think that my only response to that is going to be staying with what she knows, the theme of sitcoms and trying to maintain some kind of control. Gotcha. You know, it, it does make me wonder as I say this in stray thoughts, but no, we're talking about it. So it's like after two thousands, like, is it going to be like YouTube channel style or streaming? <laughs> like what's the next style of television? <laughs> Well, you know how everybody keeps saying there's this rumored 10th episode? Turns out there is. It's going to be on YouTube only. Yes. <laughs> so WandaVision is going to be a YouTube series. <laughs> oh, what's up, Internet? This is Wanda coming from Westview. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's going to bring us to the next important topic. There's still more stuff to talk about with Wanda, obviously, but we can't get there without talking about Monica first. So this section is called Monica's Delivery. Um, You know, they've been setting up the plot line of her calling in a friend to help her re-enter the hex. And we finally get to see it paid off this week. What a bunch of work for Monica's contact not to be anything major. You know what? Um... And I say this, maybe there's some, like, comic-related thing I don't know about, but I am a little annoyed that they put in so much deliberate work to hype that up for it to be somebody new that we get introduced to. Okay, so, my thoughts. Uh, First thought, yeah, I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. Right. But, now just because they didn't show it here doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, It's Mm -hmm. possible, a couple things, that A, Major Goodner might be Talos' daughter, just in disguise, she's a scroll. Good point. Uh, it could be that. But at the same time, the first watch through, I was like, okay, this is disappointing. But honestly, that's a lot of hype that you and I built up, friends of mine built up and talking with them, internet, you know, who is this person? They never actually said that person showing up, right? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, that's us. Like, it, it's completely like I texted my friend. No. Yeah. Like, 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 I texted my friend. They're going to put it together. It's going to show up here. And when the person showed up, Major Goodner, the way the first reaction was Major Goodner, Captain Rambeau is an introduction. Uh-huh. And she's like, appreciate you still being loyal. So that doesn't mean necessarily Major Goodner did the work or that group did the work. They could have just been the delivery people. And so I feel like there's a way like like the disappointment was more due on the speculation than anything the show did. All right. So two things I want to say, because you brought up something I wanted to talk about. But to push back on what you said, maybe there is speculation to be blamed. But the episode, the first episode did deliberate work of cutting to the phone. So they wanted you to know that they were texting her. They had the dialogue 
And then the second episode, they I think once they get into the sword base after breaking back in, they show Monica getting a text again, be like, all right, just heard from my contact. They should be here within an hour or something like that. So they kept drawing direct attention to it. So I don't know if I'm going to say that's just all on us speculation wise. They were building to a moment that kind of fizzled, See, in my opinion. I think it, I think it's in the dialogue. I know of an aerospace engineer that might be up for this challenge. I'll text him. And then what you just said, my contact said he's said they're ready. They, so like implying a group of people, mm-hmm. is going to be here. And that's a group of people did show up, you know. And even in that, they're just on the other side of this ridge. You know, you had the the group word. It wasn't he, it wasn't she, you know. Like, like in other words, if it, like, if it was going to be a big reveal, I think the writers were sat, would have been savvy enough to follow that through, you know, like we we're expect we're speculating Reed Richards for that reason or other people for that reason. You know, I didn't think Talos, Talos's daughter originally, I thought Talos himself. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so I just, I just think it was, it was, that's all on us. I guess we'll see. I can definitely see what you're talking about, about it being like. A misdirect on a misdirect where we were expecting it and like, oh, surprise, here we go. Here's who they were actually texting at the end. I don't know. It feels a little convoluted, but uh, two more episodes to go. I guess we'll find out. But see, I do agree, though. There's an element of they're highly aware. (laughs) They're highly aware of what we're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and not us individually, but just what the Internet does. That's the whole thing with Woo and Dr. Lewis that we thought was so funny. So they had to have known the speculation was going to run wild, you know, like, like that's wasn't lost on them. But I, at the same time, I think that any disappointment is because of expectations we had in the show that weren't fulfilled. And that's not the fault of the show in this instance. I only say in this, this instance, cause you know, rise of Skywalker exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good. But, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it in the theater. I didn't, and it almost killed Star Wars for me. I enjoyed um. it in the theater, but when you when I get away from it and think about it, and at the very end, I was just like, uh, but I, I had fun watching it. Back to Monica. Uh, so, back to Monica. You mentioned something that I wanted to talk about because I thought it was a nice little insight into something that might happen be happening. You mentioned... Uh, Major Goodner says she's not the only one we were loyal to, Captain. Whenever Monica was saying, you know, hey, thanks for coming through. Right. I think this is a clear indication that there is a division at Sword. I know Goodner was with the Air Force, but just the li- dialogue made me feel like there's that gives us a glimpse of that. That almost it's not. I don't want to call it a conflict, but you could see butting heads whenever we get introduced to Monica and Hayward in the beginning, where she makes that jab about them not observing weapons anymore, but creating weapons. So it seems like there's a lot of people who aren't on the side of what Hayward's doing. And um, I think you even called that out in one of the prediction episodes of wanting to see a clash between them two. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're getting to that at some point where we see Monica come back to being the head of S.W.O.R.D. Well, and wasn't there a line? Well, yeah, there was a, there was a line about who should have been replaced his, her mom. Yeah, you know, and and it was kind of led us to believe it like should have been Monica Rambeau if she wasn't snapped or blipped, you know. So the loyalty could have been to Maria Rambeau, or it could have been to Monica. You know, I don't think it was Monica. I think it was more Maria. Uh, but you know, yeah. 
So another thing that I wanted to kind of zone in on here, again, in this sort of Monica delivery, this all opens up with Monica and Wu discussing the email that Dr. Lewis sent. If you pause on the screen itself and you get to read the email, uh, the email basically lists out everything that uh, Wu relays to Monica about... Um, Vision. About vision. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Uh, he basically reiterates everything from the email, but there was one thing that wasn't mentioned, which I did write this down. The last line reads, this is a decoy communique he sent to Vision's office. Now, there's nothing else there, but given that Wu swipes and we see the blueprints for Vision, I'm assuming it was an attached file mm-hmm. of a different email, which I think was the one that we saw in episode five. So now we're kind of getting answers of who sent that email to Vision's office. And I just wanted to point out, because my read, the way the email in episode five said, uh, seems to be radiation at the perimeter, uh, effects on residents unknown. It feels like that was Hayward's way of getting Vision as close as he could to the perimeter. And I think that was the first genesis of him trying to extract him from the hex. Ah, That's a good catch. I didn't think about it that way. Who sent that? But that's a good way to plant it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good job. Thank you. Yeah. I will Nick say, Sandy. <laughs> oh man, I will say uh, the screenshot. Uh, I I believe it was in our Discord. It was either um, Aeroplane or Leech that that uh, sent it there. So I got to read it there. But then I was able to link it back to episode five. So yeah, yeah nice. group work. Yeah, I, I, all I would say with that is it feels like we're getting three different pools. And I'll be able to say more about that once we get to the end of this episode. But I, I just wanted to say that here, this point, you know, keep in mind for something I might, I'm going to bring up later on. Okay, cool. Um, it's interesting you say three different pools. Um, I'm gonna, I, I didn't even note that and think about that. I wonder if it's four. Mm. And, and the only reason why I say that, and this is something that a YouTuber I like to watch on script writing has it in his breakdown of The Dark Knight. Not The Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, Batman Begins. And uh-huh. Um, God, I can't remember which script writing book it comes from, but it talks about like four corner adversaries um, or four corner opposition. So basically you get like four characters. They're each dealing with some kind of theme, but they each deal with it differently. Hmm. And and so you see it in different ways. And and so when you said three pools, now it makes me wonder, okay, I wonder if they're doing that actually, having four pools and we're seeing whether it's grief, but four different reactions to grief. Wanda's reaction to grief. We pulled, teased out Hayward's reaction to grief of what it was like not being blipped, right? You don't know what it was like. We're getting Monica's reaction to grief and losing her mom and experiencing her go through cancer, having the remission, being blipped, come back, and her passed away from cancer coming back. With two episodes left, are we going to see something from Agnes on grief? Um, and, and look at different look, possibly. You know, not to get into prediction, but like, like that, what you just said made me think of it that I wonder if that's what they're doing with this. I really like that. That's a little bit different from what I was pulling, uh, but that's going to make me approach these episodes in a different way. I like that for reactions to grief uh, and uh, analyzation. Awesome. Nick Sandy. I can't tell if that's our mic drop or our version of Flourish. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I got to be careful here because if I say this, I know he will make it into existence. We need a photo <laughs> of Nick Sandy doing the flourish. And then it just says Nick Sandy. <laughs> and that could be a shirt. That would be, yeah. Coming to Discord soon. Social, social media. 
I don't want to put him on the spot. Don't feel like you have to do it. But if you do, that'd be great. And if he doesn't, Leach will probably do it. So. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you either uh, a friend of the podcast or you live long enough to see yourself be put on the spotlight. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we're off the rails. All right. Uh, jumping back in. Uh, so another big point of this episode was when Monica does get the space rover from Major Goodner and she tries to enter the barrier. Of course, this doesn't go right and the barrier starts to rewrite the truck and Monica escapes. But after the truck flips, she just decides to go in there solo anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I had some weird thoughts on this scene. Okay. Because at one point I was thinking, wow, the, the barrier, again, thinking about grief and emotions i was like the barrier is holding back the inanimate object right and by sheer force uh-huh. it was starting to break and it did spit the rover back out but monica was able to get back in so my thought was like oh it's it's intentionally withholding inanimate objects but then i thought no nah, that doesn't make sense because episode four they're sending in drones with no issues then to save that thought i was like well when wanda expanded it maybe it has a more protective barrier Mm-hmm. Makes it more difficult for things to get in. But I, I, I just, I liked that idea of like the a human being able to break through versus an inanimate object because of dealing with the emotions and the grief. Um, I think my theory there falls apart because of the drones in earlier episodes, but that was like uh-huh. my initial thought. So we, we're kind of in the same space here and I'm just going to kind of work through what I was writing, which... Uh... Buckle up, because uh, this might be stretching. The very first time, the very first time that we saw Monica interact with the hex, it was that blue kind of like TV static look, and it sucked her in. It brought her in, like it it, it didn't have any trouble there. Then we have the confrontation with Wanda and Sword. She does that hand motion, and the hex becomes a lot more red. And and to your point about the drones, they were sending in the drones before Wanda did that. So. Right. Um, just to keep that in mind. When we get to this episode, we see that she's trying to enter in the hex with the, tr- the space rover. Uh, only half of it gets in, and that half is rewritten as a truck. So there is still that rewritten nature of whatever's happening happening to the truck. And I think it's really interesting that it feels like the red of the hex is trying to keep things out. But the blue, which we saw on the other side in last episode where Vision was getting to the perimeter and the the blue uh, kind of TV static was pulling them, I wonder if this is a clear sign of competing magic. Whereas Wanda's red hex is there to, to do that quarantine we talked about, keep everybody out and to keep it from spreading. And that blue is the magic of Orchestrator changing everything to fit the sitcom reality. Hmm. Okay, so let me think about this. What... Whose blue magic would be? That's just to clarity's sake, the orchestrator. Because mm-hmm. it's interesting to me, again, Monica has no issues going into the hex the first time. And that we see that though, that entering into that blue. Well, and got, and got, I would say got sucked in. Yeah. And remember, I, I forgot to set this up when I was talking about it. But last week's episode, when Vision gets to the perimeter, uh, I told you this off mic, it looks like the blue anomaly is kind of beckoning Vision in because he gets close and it starts coming to him and it's the red hex that pulls him back in. Right. Hmm. Okay, so skipping ahead, know, knowing who Agnes is, you know, Ag- Agatha Harkness, mm-hmm. 
her and and you noted vision whenever he was doing something it was a yellow cue yep hers is purple and that's a red and blue mm. mix uh-huh so if the blue is an orchestrator and we want to associate red with wanda who's whose is the blue i don't know i will say this now that we've kind of like uh, tipped our hat a little bit. I am in the camp that it is Agnes, that the the blue reality shifting is Agnes. So that doesn't play in. When I say orchestrator now, I'm fully meeting uh, Agatha. So, but with so with your was, color coding, yeah, that that that's where I start to fall apart. Yeah, and I mean, unless again, I I know we want to save our thoughts on Agnes to later and talk more about Monica right at this point. Yeah, but unless we're saying Agatha is feeding off of. Wanda and hers is blue and feeding off of Wanda's magic is taking what's Agatha's normal color signature blue and Wanda's red and making that purple. Now that we've, we've tipped our hat, I'm going to just read you what I wrote down in uh, Wanda's staycation section. Is Agnes feeding off Wanda's grief? Is she growing stronger the more Wanda feels like this is her fault? Which would be why everybody was putting the onus on Wanda. Right. Well, I mean, at that point, I think it's 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 a question of is it feeding off of her or is it it's cliche, but it's the whole like dark side of the Jedi <laughs> dark side, you know, it's like like here's your uh-huh. anger and feed into anger um, and that makes you more powerful. Um, although there's elements of it that I didn't think of before. That's that's actually kind of silly. Like anger is not actually always bad, but mm-hmm. I'll leave those. The Jedi weren't always good. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I, I, I found a new podcast recently and it, <laughs> and it made me rethink. Are uh, you cheating on this one? No, 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 no. Uh, I, found, <laughs> I, I found, I found a new podcast recently that th- they tackle a franchise for each season. Uh huh. And I went to listen to their Star Wars franchise and they were just talking about Star Wars in a way I never thought about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's where that creeps in my head. But but they could be this show could be doing that. Well, the more emotional you get, the more powerful you are, and I and you're more powerful than me. So I need you to do this. So it's less feeding mm. off of, and more. Again, you said that manipulation. Yeah, you know because recognizing they're more powerful. But. So yeah, like I said, a uh, bit of a stretch, uh, but maybe well, it is. It is a bit of a stretch, but it is there is definitely something there where it's conflicting. Why have a red hex to ble- block out anything, but then also have the blue shift that rewrites everything? Right. So that the, to me that was a direct confrontation, con- uh, confliction of magic. Yeah. Cool. Let's shelve that for a second, and we'll revisit it talking about Agnes and Agatha. Okay, sounds good. Because I don't, I don't, because I don't want to shortchange Monica. Because there's a lot left, I think, to talk about with Monica. Yeah. One of the things I found interesting, is when she goes back in, like, a, this is where she gets her superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. Becomes honestly, depending on where you look within the comic, she's gone by Captain Marvel, she's gone by Photon, she's gone by Spectrum. In fact, the Marvel Encyclopedia you got me for Christmas. When you look uh-huh. up Monica Rambo, it says C Spectrum. So it goes by a number of different things. In the MCU, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Photon because that was Maria's call sign. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like the way, I like the way they did that. I like the way she gained her powers going through the hex again. It was like she was trying to be recoat. She had to fight through the red part of the hex. It was like she's being trying to be codified, but like fought against it. 
and mm-hmm. was able to come through on the other side. And I like what they did with her eyes, so you get a clear signal of this is her with her abilities. Right. Yeah. And you know, and how she saw the world differently. She saw the different energies, you know, so to so to speak. I really like the way she got her powers. And, you know, and we're talking about this idea of grief and the different ways characters in this show have dealt with it. Uh, we're coming up on a confrontation uh, here in a second, but staying within this moment, Monica delivers a line about, you know, this is my truth, where she's acknowledging she's lost her mom. She's lost the most important person to her. And I think that is represented by the way I know you said it's like the, the, the hex was trying to rewrite her and we see these different variations of her we've seen before being pulled apart. That pulling apart is what I liked with the voiceover overlays of dialogue from Captain Marvel where it's conversations with her mom, with Carol Danvers, with Nick Fury, and all talking about the how strong of a person she is. And it's it's like this this consolidated grappling with grief that helps her power through and not be rewritten and to carry on. Again, it's probably equal parts being the superhero now that she has powers, but on a character level, I like that yeah. fortifying of herself and her truth. Yeah. No, no, no. That like I said, that was part of the whole Well, again, it gives this whole idea of agency, mm-hmm. you know. Like, it's not clear, like, at least I don't think it was. I'm assuming Wanda and Pietro volunteered for Strucker's experiments. I don't remember if they made that clear. Whereas when Carol Danvers got her powers, there was this explosion, and there's an element of, like, choice on her part, Mm -hmm. right? Like, she shoots the, the thing powered by the Tesseract that then, you know, engulfs her in these radiation or whatever you want to call it. So, in a way, it was her choice... To get the powers, but not really. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you spend the the movie of her wrestling with that and then choosing to be free. And so, so there's agency in that. But Monica yeah. has true agency in, I know this has changed me. I have the data evidence, but I'm still going in there and, and making this choice that we don't see a lot of these characters getting when they become get their powers a lot of times it's what's done to them oh yeah it's a hundred percent a clear choice because one of my notes was why did she go in without her helmet like she like (laughs) she she had all these like safety measures and at the last second when the truck didn't work she just said all right screw it and goes in herself which is heroic i don't want to take away from that but it was funny that the helmet was left to the side. But when you lay it out that way, it is more of an indication of that choice. And right. I think that is... Well, whereas the first time she went in, it felt, we made the comment, we felt reckless, but this didn't feel like a reckless thing. And it also helps too, because I, because I did say, I called it, it felt like a suicidal mission. But after thinking about it more, she's connecting with Wanda in a way that I don't think anybody else is doing, where she's she mentions, I know how she feels. I can help her. I want to help her and like all that. If this theory of the four different ways people are dealing with grief, if you look at it through that lens, Monica, Monica could almost be the litmus test of how to do it right because she is processing it, she is accepting it, and she is being empowered by it. And she wants to kind of like bring that on into Wanda and help as best as she can. Right. So, yeah. Well, okay, no. So later in that scene, she says, I lost the person closest to me too. The worst thing I can think of has already happened to me and I can't change it. I can't undo it. I can't control this pain anymore. And I don't think I want to because it's my truth. Mm-hmm. So I think you're you're right of, of she knows she can help and she's dealing with grief in a different way. And Wanda's trying to control it, and the tighter the grip she gets, the more she's losing it. Whereas Monica realizes, I can't control it anymore, and I don't think I want to, because it's my truth. Mm-hmm. Which is 
a different way of looking at it and why she knows she can help. So sticking within this scene, the reason I like this so much is we see that this is the moment that Monica is trying to reason with Wanda to help break her through into understanding what's happening. And we, when we see this, obviously Wanda is very hostile to Monica because of the confrontation they had previously. But the way that Monica gets her to listen is that speech that you just gave. And it's only a small glimpse, but I'm hoping that this is something that we can we can hold on to with these remainder two episodes because I, I believe it was in our prediction episode of, um, not prediction episode, but whenever we saw the trailer for the first time and we did like a reaction to it, uh-huh. I had mentioned something along the lines of, I really hope that they explain how Wanda got from in-game to here. Right. Because in in-game, she felt at peace with it. And clearly, something's not right here. The fact that Wanda responds to that reasoning that Monica's laying out makes me feel like deep down she knows that is true. And then, of course, Agnes comes and, you know, manipulates it. But I think deep down that she knows it is true. So I hope that it is on the minds of uh, Jack Schaefer and, and all the other creators of this show uh, that we're going to get that pathway to in-game to here. Yeah. And I think so. I think I think part of that is going to be what we're finding out with Hayward and his use of vision. Yeah. Is what's going to set that off. Well. I mean, to, sorry to butt in, but something I wanted to, to mention, but it was too much to do at once. You know, I mentioned one of the things that talked Wanda down was that speech. But another thing, when Monica goes into the house, which based off their last interaction was very bold of her and very brave to go running into the house with Wanda. Wanda wasn't as hostile until she mentioned Hayward. Right. Hayward and Vision. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's this this extreme emotional reaction to like a defense mechanism of if the last true thing she remembers is potentially what was being done to vision, you know, what was done with Ultron and Pietro, those visceral reactions are what coming through as moments of truth for Wanda. But I don't think it necessarily means Wanda is antagonistic because her first reaction when Monica walked in was not to attack. No, it wasn't. It was when Mm -hmm. she said the magic words, Hayward and vision. I do find it interesting. It, It seems like Wanda tried to do to Monica what she did to vision in civil war. Yeah, because he went up and then went down, but then Monica was able to prevent it, and that and that really took Wanda, you know, by surprise. Monica's so cool. I, I, yeah. there's no insightful way for me to just say that. Yeah, I loved when she did that superhero landing, and it's like, no, you can't do it, and she basically dares Wanda to like, go ahead, take me out. Yeah, but again, it's it's so cool. I love it, and that's a that was a really good big, as you mentioned at the beginning of this pod, emotional swing, and it worked. Yeah, right? but there's something to. Go back to Star Wars for a second. <laughs> it's a very Star Wars heavy episode. Well, okay, so when you when you look at Revenge, uh, Revenge, not Revenge. Um, well, you know, one of the contrasting things between Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi, actually, but we'll stick with Return of the Jedi. Stay on target. Stay on target. When you look at Return of the Jedi, it ends with we have this thing in our media, and you see it in superhero shows all the time, all throughout the MCU. Um, uh-huh. Although. It didn't happen, and I don't think, in, in Winter Soldier, and they handled it. It didn't happen in Winter Soldier, and they handled it unbelievably well in uh, Civil War, was instead of using this redemptive violence, right? People are redeemed through violence. The, they, you know, Luke throws down his lightsaber. Winter Soldier, and I know we haven't done a review on that, but he drops his shield, you mm-hmm. know. While they continue to fight in Civil War, it was a redemptive moment on Black Panther and taking in Zemo. Yeah. Right. And so you get this moment of, for Monica, it's not a violent way to try to redeem her. It's, no, I'm not going to fight you. Take me out. Do it. And so I'm wondering if we're going to see another 
moment like that, an even bigger moment at the, at the end of mm-hmm. the last episode of this, because because I love it when they do when they find a way to say I don't you know these characters don't have to be redeemed through violence because it's just like Iron Man didn't do it, Iron Man two didn't do it. They fought their way to to the end and in, in, of the arc and redemption. So that was one of the, that's one of the things I loved about this scene was that you know clearly she was able to match Wanda in the moment. And so you got this impression of like, okay, this is going to be Wanda's equal. But she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you. And I don't think you want to fight me either. Yeah, that's a really, I like the way you laid that out in, in your read. That was good. So we mentioned that Monica was almost successful in talking down Wanda, but of course uh, Agnes arrives and takes her away. There's definitely more to talk about there, but we're still not there yet. But we are going to jump ahead to our first mid credit scene of the season, uh, because even though it comes after some revelations, it feels a lot more in line here to talk about with Monica. So just to set the stage, after we discover that Wanda is in the clutches of Agatha, uh, Monica's outside trying to look for a way in, and right as she finds a cellar entrance, none other than Pietro himself arrives and says, Snooper's gonna snoop. And that's where it ends. So I'll be honest, I didn't see the mid credit scene until after my second watch. Um, well, like I just wasn't expecting it. I've seen the credits. They don't change drastically. So I just, I didn't watch it. Um, and then when I found out there was an end credit scene, I was like, oh, okay. So let me go find that. I'm low key annoyed they did it. It it kind of, I was, they trained us all season that there's not one. And then to do one randomly, three episodes left to go. It's like, okay. Like I was, I was ready for there to be one at the end, but, and and it didn't even feel like it needed to be mid credit scene, but that's a different conversation. No, no, no. I'm going to have that conversation because, like, at that, at, that, <laughs> at that point, well, yeah, because, like, at that point, to me, that reveals one or two things going to happen to Monica. Either she's going to find an ally in Pietro uh-huh. or Pietro is working with Agatha and she is captured. Yeah. It's going to be one of those two. And so you have to have that scene in there somewhere to have Monica in that position for the next episode. Uh-huh. And because they didn't fit it within the episode... They had to throw it as an end credit. Like, that's what it felt mm-hmm. like. It, you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, we can't figure out a way to do it here. We have to have it set up so Mo- it makes sense that Monica is in the situation she's in. So let's just do the end credit. So in that way, I agree with you where it's annoyed of like, like, I understand why they did it for that reason. You know, and you don't want to, you know, pull a dotty on P- Pietro of like, oh, where the hell did you go? Um, right. You know, and, and so like I get that, uh, but I'm with you as well. It's like we couldn't have in credit scenes the whole way through. Like, like well, okay, just, I, I'm, I'm going to rewrite these shows for a second. <laughs> as we're one to do. Well, go to episode one, the whole zooming out and finding out that somebody's watching. Uh-huh. That could have that they could have just entered on credits and made somebody watching be the in, the in, mid credits. Right. So like there was little things there. That And I'm not saying that, that they should have done that. I'm saying, like, you could have, even within what they've been doing, established mid-credits, you know, this mid, mid-credits scene or intact or whatever, and trained us for that so it wouldn't have been a surprise. Yeah. So so it it's, in that way, I agree with you. I guess in my head, in-credits are comical or linking the next project. If the story depends on the mid-credit or the post-credit, then it feels like that's not fair to the audience. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. Because it's it's out of it's out of the cohesive story that they're telling. And maybe 
it's maybe we'll find a way to like reintroduce like, oh, Pietro uh, captured Monica or whatever it turns out to be in the next episode. That just comes back to this feeling of, okay, well, then you didn't need it. And so it's just like, I don't know. It just fell out of place for me, which is so weird because, I mean, the whole, our show took inspiration from Intags and do it and does it too. Right. It just, it rubbed me the wrong way. And it's one of those things, like, I just got irritated for no reason on. Yeah. No, but, but I mean, I think you're right in the sense of all of a sudden with three episodes left, you're going to drop one. Yeah. Does that mean the next two episodes will have one? Like, I was expecting the last episode to have one in mm-hmm. true, like, Marvel fashion. We have that at the end of the last episode. Yeah. Right. Like, like I was expecting that. But they could have, like you said, done like like you said they could have done that the rest of the episodes and had a way to link from one episode to the next and this doesn't feel like it feels like it should have went within the context of the episode now pietro and the snoopers gonna snoop that's still a line said in such a way that could go either direction of like was he grabbing monica as an ally or was he being working for agatha I'm going to leave that there, and then, again, it's the second time I'm saying this, but I want to leave it there and and wrap all that in with the Agatha stuff. Okay. I will say this. And predictions. And predictions. Yeah, I was going to say this goes for predictions, but I want to say this. With this and the the behavior, it's 100% stunt casting, right? Evan Peters, I don't think this is confirmation that the X-Men are coming. Not that Uh, that canon, at least. I'm going to save that because I I don't know if I fully agree (laughs) with you, actually. All right. Well, then let's keep And I admit I might still be wishful thinking, but- Wishful thinking, but yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I have done, what, seven episodes of wishful thinking on it not being Wanda. I think you can do wishful thinking on Pietro. <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. So, uh, moving along, uh, we keep talking about this big reveal with Agatha coming. We got one more pit stop to do before we get there. Uh, this important topic I have entitled The Clown and the Escape Artist which of course is dealing with Vision and Darcy. After both of them were enveloped by the expanding hex, we now see what their roles are and they spend the rest of the episode trying to get back to Wanda. And I got to say the miscommunication uh, on entry point of Vision being like, hey, we had that moment last night and Dr. Lewis not getting it was so <laughs> funny to me. And even, and even though I felt like their sections were kind of the weakest, I, it was worth it for that little beginning intro. You know what? I I liked it. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know if I felt like they were the weakest. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. So, because I really liked their pairing. Yeah. Um, and I love that whole locked eyes, you know, um, I love the uh, hard pass, you know, that that whole, <laughs> because in a weird way, as much as like the characters are getting codified, that still felt like Dr. Lewis, mm-hmm. you know, personality wise. And well, you know, Pietro quotes said that, hey, you may be able to maintain their personality on the surface level. Uh, but just the banter worked between the two of them for me. Uh, so I, I don't I don't know. I really, really enjoyed it. For me, I guess the reason why this is the weakest part is even though I do love the pairing, because the jig is up, I no longer feel like we need to be in the sitcom, especially after getting confirmation of the broadcast not going through. It just felt not padding because the episodes are short enough, but it just felt like spinning the wheels and almost literally so. Well, I think two. Yeah, I would say I think two things on that. A. It stayed within universe, right? Like, mm-hmm. so he snapped her out of it very quickly with his little vision hands and yellow wiggly woos, right? So, like, like he he got her out of it very quickly. Uh, so they didn't stay in it that long. And even in his interviews, at the end, he had a realization of like, what am I even doing? Yeah, you know, and I, and that I really liked, where it was just like. They're going. He's like, "What? We're out in the sticks. There's a lot of traffic lights. It doesn't rain mm-hmm. in Westview, and 
you know, and, and so in, in that, like he had this moment of like, what am I even doing? And he just got up to fly. Mm -hmm. He has this line that says, well, no. Okay. Sorry. I was looking at my notes and I, and I was about to read the wrong thing, but, but they're tied. I was going to read Wanda's line. Wanda, where she says, well, if he doesn't want to be here, then there's nothing I can do about it. But vision reveals that he feels like Wanda is keeping him away from the house. Uh huh. But Wanda's line implies vision doesn't want to be there. Of his choice. Right. So you go back to your orchestrator theory. I don't know if Wanda is keeping him away and somebody else clearly is. Mm -hmm. Especially because they know Vision made it out. He was getting torn apart as the Hex is trying to drag him back in and Wanda saved him by extending it. Yeah. So then I guess for me, and this might all end up just needing to suspend disbelief, why it feels like spinning the wheels is go to last episode where we saw Vision on his quest and the reality was pausing and freezing. If the orchestrator has the ability to do that, because now we, well, we'll get to it in a later section. We did see that confrontation of Agatha get uh, Agnes have light shined on it. If they have the ability to kind of just freeze sections of it, why are they just slowing Vision's impediment instead of just like putting a pause on them if they have that control? Which maybe they don't, but they for sure have that control on Dr. Lewis. Right. Well, well, it, if they don't have that kind of... My thought on that, honestly, even watching it, was they were trying to be stopped by the circus. In particular, Dr. Lewis. Mm -hmm. it, like, it was within world, oh, you're on next. Hey, you... And specifically, she can't leave. And so in that way, I think it's it still maintains Vision's ability to choose mm -hmm. and shows Wanda is the reason why he's in there. She brought him in. So that's why he's probably, and also maybe as a synthesoid, able to snap people out of things and free from being paused. And so if you didn't have them awake and trying to hold him back, then he would have just been free to leave right away. Like, I mean, aside from just like the interaction of the characters, like that's an in-world explanation. Vision knew Pietro was an imposter. Mm-hmm. So one last thing kind of in this section, because this in the beginning part before Dr. Lewis gets snapped out of the uh, trance, she was giving testimonials. I Again, I'm still leading into this orchestrator idea of somebody doing this, making them do the broadcasts and the, the whatever you have you that needs for the sitcom. Uh -huh. Is having Darcy doing it a flex on the orchestrator's part? Because they went from being this person that was on the outside, like looking in and being observational. And then now they just have them front and center on the camera, like fully immersed into the reality of the hex. I, I have a different theory. Okay. I think she, go ahead. I was going to say, cause we saw at the end of this episode, how showboaty my lead candidate for the orchestrator could be. So I just read that as like a flex, uh, you know, in hindsight. Yeah. You mentioned something a few episodes ago. And then brought it up again about like people's deepest desire uh -huh. or, or something that they desire. And if she desired or wanted to be an, have a part in the show, like she was enjoying it. I don't know if it's so much as a flex as much as that she's getting what she wanted. She's going to get to participate in the show. Oh, uh -huh. okay. I like that. Yeah, that's good. That's the way that, yeah, that's the way I thought of it. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that. It was really sad how it feels like Wanda has been fully broken and the way that she's just going along with like, I don't know why any of this is happening. I guess I did it. Uh, you know, who doesn't do this in a bout of emotions and all that? It really feels like whenever Vision is so openly stating that Wanda, that he believes that Wanda's doing this, it feels like it's in a level of him breaking too because I've I've talked about that, that importance on trying to split them 
I said it last week, but even more so, we see that they're on clear opposing sides. I like how we are seeing clear work being set for them to have like some sort of reconvening by the time this is over, especially with the way Dr. Lewis highlights, you know, despite everything was happening, based on what I've seen, the love is real. So there, you two do belong together. And I like that that groundwork's kind of feeling like it's paid off. Yeah. Okay. So I had a completely opposite thought on that. And that's just me, <laughs> like, like not suspending disbelief, you know, kind of things. Uh-huh. So first, I love the whole sequence of like, so Wanda killed me and I asked her to. <laughs> Did it work? Well, yeah. Until the bad guy, you know, rewound time and killed you again. So I tied twice. Yeah, and she had to watch. Like, I love the, not only did I love the way they did that, the music in the background playing reminded me of the show. And it wasn't a show that I very, like, watched a lot, but I know it was really good and popular. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, like, it had that, from what I've seen and what I've heard, that feel to it. And so that was just great. Um, I thought, you know, Vision learning about it, he handled it very well. <laughs> you know, and then, and then... You know, you brought up, he brought up the AI Jarvis, Ultron. But to me, I'm looking at the scene, I'm like, okay, if Vision's looking for a purpose and, you know, and I'm with Dr. Lewis, I don't, you know, I don't get why you can't leave the hex in my note. Me too, Dr. Lewis. Me too. Like, I I don't get that. Um, I'm I'm sure we'll find out at some point. Hopefully there's more to it than just like, ah, for the scene, you know, the scene. But the whole line, the the love you two have is real. You belong together. I'm like, I don't know if she can. It's nice for the show, but like I, I'm looking at it and I'm like, you're watching a sitcom. Yeah. And most of the stuff is made up. I don't know, especially after the fight they had and his and how he acted and reacted to Wanda. You know, oh, look, you don't like your outfit. It was like, what? This was the only one in my closet kind of kind of things. I don't know if I agree with that to say, oh, the love is real. Mm-hmm. And then even some of the notes, it was like, is Vision actually capable of love without knowing who he is and mm-hmm. knowing Wanda has made many decisions for him? Like, if he if he doesn't know what's before Westview, are those feelings even real? You, you know, and, and so, because it, like, it wasn't like, oh, I just dove into it. They both had an understanding of each other because the Mind Stone and they had that connection of both the mindstone is a part of what made them both who they were. They both felt misunderstood. And so they were able to be drawn closer together, you know, through that. And so like, there is true relationship development that sitcom world, especially if he, I don't remember before Westview and I'm scared. He doesn't have that relationship development. So like, I don't, I didn't agree with the whole idea of like, Oh, the love you two have is real. And I'm thought, no, it's not. It's fabricated. Uh-huh. And, and so, yeah, so like, so that's why I say I read that completely the other way. I think you're zoning in on probably one of the biggest flaws of the MCU is that telling and not showing. But to back it up a little bit, because I, I had mentioned it in previous episodes before, within the sitcom WandaVision, they were, they were making choices deliberately in the benefit of their children. And I had mentioned like, oh, I like this because it shows despite whatever the reality might be, this is decisions made out of love and affection for that family. And so that's where I pulled that read of enjoying that line from from dr lewis but you also make a great point of you know if he doesn't have the memories then what is that based on other than what's been in the the sitcom well and remember his first question to dr lewis wasn't how's wanda it's how are my kids Uh and that's what he's built a memory of and experiences of of his kids Mm -hmm. 
that are more real and tangible than than their relationship at this point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so and again, that was his first question: not how's my wife, where's Wanda, how are the kids? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, I just it just didn't work for me, you know. And I'm wondering if we keep propping up this agency he has, agency he has. Maybe it's not a fairy tale ending, and that's a problem for Wanda, you know, straw that breaks the the camel's back, so to speak. Just to round that out, because I talked about how it feels like it's laying groundwork for some sort of reconvening, despite how effective it was. They did have that line where they where Vision verbally states like, you know, this all happened so long ago, but it, you know, it feels like it happened to somebody else. But for Wanda, this has just been like, you know, a few weeks. And that's when he has a realization and takes off to go find her. It feels like a direct contrast where he starts off saying how much he's blaming Wanda for this to shifting towards realizing the effect of all those traumatic effects in such a short span of time could have on someone. So it's not a full reversal on his part of saying like, okay, Wanda's not doing this, but it's starting to show like a learning point for him that like, okay, maybe I can work with this person to get to some sort of resolution. And so to me, that felt like a topper on what I was grabbing from those scenes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that all makes sense. And I think you're right. Uh I don't, really think that I'm I, I, I really don't think that I'm right but I think that like that is what the way I, I read the scene or my again not being well, able to suspend you're... disbelief that yeah you know I just I couldn't take it that way I don't think you're wrong either like it's it's because it is what I wanted out of these Disney plus series but we're gonna still see the sins of the compactive nature of the movies it's like what I talked about Civil War you know when Tony and Steve are fighting, Steve says he was my friend, and Tony says so was I. Right. That move that hits because we're invested in the MCU, but they didn't really display that friendship within the movies. We just took it at face value. So that feels like what's happening here. But hopefully, as the Disney Plus shows become more integral into the MCU, we'll see moments like that expanded more so that they hit harder. Right. Yeah. No. No. That's good. So I think we're wrapping up this section, but one little thing that I want to say before we move on is, you know, I've been talking about how this um, invoking of the modern family, the office style sitcom didn't work for me. I think the best example of why is Vision's giving that testimonial about how, you know, he's starting to understand why Wanda's doing this. And then he stops and goes, what am I doing? I could just go. And he flies away. And he hits his head on the boom mics. That was so great. That was that was so funny. The the reason why I feel like this format is just going to need me to suspend reality a little bit more is he has the realization in the testimonial. We cut back to him in the car flying away. Where does that take place? Like that, that feels like a disconnect even within all the boundaries they're pushing of this being a sitcom within a TV show. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It really does. It, so so that's where it starts to feel like they've done such a great job of showing what is and isn't packaged for WandaVision that once we start to learn more and even after finding out that it's not even being packaged anymore, what is this all for or what is happening? And with only two episodes left, it really feels like something that's just going to have to be taken at face value. Form form Trump storytelling at this point. Well, and the thing I would I would say is, again, I appreciated... The the twenty the the twenty thousand twenty thousand the two thousand style television right and keeping up with that I I appreciate that but I, I get 
I, I see your point. Like that didn't take me out of it, right? I I, I uh-huh. really enjoyed Vision's realization of like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Why am I playing along still? <laughs> but, like I, I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, but it did make me wonder again. So what happens next? The next two episodes, like mm-hmm. and that, and again, I I said it jokingly, but it really could be that they go some kind of weird streaming kind of thing. I don't think I would enjoy that. So I hope they don't, you know, but, uh, like it does make me wonder is like, okay, so the last two episodes, they're not going to do sitcom style. Actually, I, I have one of my slight predictions, but we'll, I'll save it. Okay. But yeah, so, so I, I, I think it's a fair point. I didn't take me out of, of it though. Yeah. Like in a way it added to Watch me. <laughs> Watch. This is the thing that I've been um, one of one of the things I've been annoyed by the most, and it ends up being one of the things we can look back to, and it's like, oh, that was a clear sign that your orchestrator theory was right. <laughs> 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 oh man! So I think we're getting to one of the biggest points of this episode, which we've entitled "Agnes's Hospitality." Uh, the bulk of this takes place over the episode where, at the beginning. Wanda's having that realization that everything is meaningless, at least in her interpretation. So one of the things that Agnes does is offer to watch the kids while Wanda has a me day. And this all culminates to the end where Wanda is trapped in Agnes's basement. And we have the reveal that Agnes is actually Agatha Harkness. Right. Now, again, we were dancing around it. I mean, we're clearly in the spoiler zone. We played the cue and all. Um, yeah. But we are just... We wanted to try to, there was so much here, we wanted to try to make sure we, we compartmentalized um, all our thoughts on Agnes, Agatha Harkness. Uh, it's it's so weird. Like, I feel like that was a very poorly kept secret. Like, everybody knew Agnes, Agatha mm-hmm. Harkness. Yeah. You know, and, and that stuff. But I, I still found the reveal very satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so, like, it, like... Knowing that and and just kind of waiting to see when does it going to happen, that it wasn't like oh okay so we all knew it was coming like I I was still fine with it. Um, in fact, uh-huh. when she said oh they're probably in the basement, like complete horror movie reaction on my part. No, don't go in the basement, Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it was complete. Like no, what are you doing? Like. So yeah, you know, so all that to say that like you're, we're clearly, I was sucked in, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. here it comes. So I, I'm conflicted in, we're obviously talking about the moment where we, we have the song and dance number of, uh, it was Agatha all along. Mm-hmm. I was conflicted because yes, like you said, it felt like it was coming. We knew she had some role to play. Part of me was like, okay, they're really spelling it out. And I was still stuck on that. Okay, well, if this isn't being broadcasted, then why is Agatha doing a sitcom opening number? See, there's a flex. Agatha was... That's a flex. <laughs> That's what I was getting to. At my first read, I was like, okay, this feels spoon like they're spoon feeding us. The this that I didn't like it. But something I noticed on that second watch is the way they transition into that is that Agatha did her purple powers and it transitioned into Wanda's eyes into seeing the the theme song for Agatha was it was Agatha all along so that was the flex that's what made me feel like Darcy being front and center of the testimonial was the flex right um 
And it just it made me enjoy it a little bit more because it showed off more of that showboaty showmanship that Agatha has shown so far. And it might actually lend credit to what you were saying last week, where Pietro, under Agatha's control, mm-hmm. got cocky with the it's not like he can die twice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so I liked this I liked the show open theme because it it was a very clear reference to me um of the monsters. Uh-huh. You know, and, and she's a witch you know, Scarlet Witch, like, oh, this is the monsters. You know, you can't do it. You can't include, you know, TV sitcoms without including the monsters. Right. Um, and it is the <laughs> monsters, not Adam's family. Very different. Uh, so, so in that sense, I loved it, but also I loved it because it's not just that it's spelling it out for us, but it gives a clear, like now when you watch it and you see the things they showed us, her showing up at the doorstep right at the right time, her tapping Herb and taking control yeah. over Herb. My thing is like, did she overtake Herb from Wanda? Like was Herb under Wanda's control? Uh-huh. And then did she take Herb's con- Wanda, you know, control away from Herb and now got him under her thumb, so to speak. And if that's the case, your initial read on trying to drive a wedge between Wanda and Vision is right, right? Because like she grabbed right. Herb, it showed his dis his disconnect of like sawing into the wall, right? Like it's uh-huh. was it a weird like mess up because of a pause with Wanda going controlling Herb and the contractions, or was it Agnes? You know, and notice later at the Halloween episode. Herb and Agnes are the only two that asked, Wanda, do you want me to change something? Mm-hmm. And we now know she took over Herb. So, so like, the, like same thing with Pietro. Like, is that, I still want to hold out that it's possible X-Men Pietro, and I'll get dive a little bit more deeper into this when we get to predictions and stuff, and talk deeper about the commercial. But she was clearly controlling Pietro. It, like, because she's sitting out in the front yard, you saw the purple magic stuff on his back, which is not the same as Pietro working, making choice working for Agnes or Agatha. Mm-hmm. See, for me, I think that's why I'm leaning into that idea that it's completely stunt casting because it it's not, I don't think it was anybody that was sent in. Uh, it's somebody that, that Agatha was in control of, which makes me think they were already there. I just, it, it feels like it's going to be a lot of work to make that work as X-Men canon. Uh, I still hold on to that belief that they are coming. The X-Men are coming somehow, some way with multiverse shenanigans. I just think this is going to end up being a stunt cast. I, um, I'm going to hold out hope. I hope so. I, I It would be nice. I'm an, I'm, I'm, you're, you picked your limb to die on. I'm going to pick my limb to die on. <laughs> oh, just saying. You know. All right. Well, let me go die on my limb because that transitions nicely to my next point. Uh, you know, you were talking about on this idea that Agatha was coming in, tapping her on the shoulder, relinquishing control from Wanda. And so right there, I think, can we, at a meeting point, are we in this idea, these conflicting ideas of magic that we've seen so far demonstrated in the episode? Are we safe to say those are conflictions between Wanda and Agatha? Uh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. So... I had a reason for bringing that up. Like, like, okay. are you talking? Are you referring back to like the stork? Well, like the stork couldn't go away. Uh huh. You know, and like that was conflicting. Where magic, Wanda's magic didn't work. Yeah, conflicting there. And then I'm trying to remember where else we said there was confliction magic, conflicting magic. I can't remember exactly where it was. But anyway, it all plays into that larger point of what you were saying about 
Agatha tapping her, gaining control from whatever was previously happening. You know, I can see that read, and this is, you know, Wanda's, like, perfect reality, but the fact that Agatha had her own TV-style sitcom makes, or sitcom intro, I should say, it makes me feel like more of the package deal that we were seeing is Agatha's Agatha's doing, it's going to be so hard switching from Agnes to Agatha, by the way. I've already stumbled on it three times. I know. Um, that's, that's been a mess up for me as well. <laughs> so her having her own prepackaged theme song makes me feel like everything of the else of the sitcom language that's been used was her. Does that, does that take away from the read that we had of the reason this was happening was because Wanda took comfort in these shows from all her different traumas? Or is that, am I just grasping it too much by Agatha having her own theme song? I don't think you're grasping it too much. Uh-huh. You know, I think, I think it's, um, I guess what I'm afraid of, like, I want to say like, because of the theme song, it makes me want to go all in and say, okay, Agatha has been the orchestrator this entire time, but I've been trying to be as skeptical as I can while also grasping for my piles of sand. And so I don't know if I'm ready to commit to it that this was the clear answer, but uh, it feels like it tips its hat by showing that she does have a love for that showmanship and yeah. homage to TV. Well, no, I I think you're right on the showmanship and homage to TV because it's it, to mm-hmm. get her own theme song is, look, I'm actually the star of the show. Yeah. You thought you were the star of the show, but I am the star of the show. So, so in that way, it's kind of like, rubbing it in Wanda's face of like, you're, you know, I've been, it's been more me than you realize unless you, Mm -hmm. um, now I would make, probably make the case that Wanda is more powerful than, um, Agnes, Agatha. God, that switch Uh is going to be so hard. More powerful (laughs) than Agatha. And, and and if we want to go down that route, we could say, well, this is, um, Agnes trying to flex and maybe she knows Wanda is more powerful and, but she's trying to not let that on and show, look, it's been me this whole time. I'm the powerful one. Uh-huh. Um, it could be that. You know, villain monologuing. It's a very classic trope in superheroes. Yeah. So that could be what that is. Yeah. Circling back to something we said earlier, we were talking about Wanda on the in, in her interview, and we had the male voice ask her, do you think this is what you deserve? Now we know Agnes was manipulating that. So does that mean... Agnes was behind the camera and Wanda didn't see her or go back to what you said. Is that actually poking a jab at Wanda with that comment? Mm -hmm. If this is what Agnes was manipulating or was this just a way of showing Agnes was doing this all along, but she really wasn't there Hmm. because you see her in each episode somewhere. And this is where they showed her this episode. So it was, I'm not sure how to take that. So when I watched it again, because the first time, the first read, I was with you. It sounded like a male voice. But after realizing it was Agatha, it sounds like someone trying to have that deeper, like, male voice. Like, it it felt like that was Agatha behind the camera in the moment, too, and just kind of masking their voice. As far as whether or not Wanda could see them, you know, Agatha's kind of behind the camera and it doesn't look like there's a lot of shield, but they do have one of those like huge like softbox lights right. that are directed right at Wanda. That could be what was blocking her vision. But at the root of it, your question was about whether or not Wanda thinks she's alone. 
she would see all that setup equipment and know she's not alone. Right. So, yeah, whether or not she knew it was it was Agatha, I don't think yeah. so, but I do think it is pretty clear that she knew somebody was there. Yeah. Well, and it could be they just use that voice, a different voice, to throw us off, the viewer. Fine. Uh-huh. No problem with that. Or throw Wanda off. No problem with that. Um, and then, of course, the third option, well, someone else is involved. Hmm. With two episodes left, I don't think they're going to go someone else's involved route. You know, we've been we've been so much on this. There's no Mephisto uh, theory. I go back and forth because you and I were kind of relenting a little bit last week. We we're like, uh, you know what? Maybe he might be. But the closer we got to the end, like with only two episodes left, I don't think you set up Mephisto in two episodes and it'd be satisfying unless it's kind of like that Thanos level post credits like hey, Mephisto exists and we'll explore more in Doctor Strange 2 or whatever. Yeah, you know, and and also there's something to, I mean, to be honest, I feel like there's something to this being a female-driven show mm-hmm. and having a last-minute reveal of it being Mephisto. Yeah. Even if it wasn't, let's say it was revealed this episode and the Agatha reveal was an episode earlier, right? And let's say they did it, paced it out that way. There's something about it, being a female-driven show that all of a sudden a villain is Mephisto, this again, assuming Mephisto's male, is just a, a problem. Yeah. Um, and you already have your other villainous-type role with um, Hayward. And so at that point, like, how many characters are you wanting to add? Plus, I, 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 this, just, this thought just came to me. You know, we had the line where Agatha says, you know, the devil's in the details. It makes more sense now. If she has been running the show all along and trying to convince Wanda of the reality, the devil's in the details. Yeah, that's leaning towards maybe there's a devil in the MC universe. But it also means like this is how hard she's working to keep everything rolling for whatever her motive ends up being. You know what? And it goes back to I think you're I think you're right. And I think that's a good read. And it goes back to the cleverness of dropping all of those hints, you know, of like oh, Mephisto. In fact, a friend of mine, Sean, just sent me, you know. 20 minutes ago this little meme of like it's the whole one you see with leonardo dicaprio where he's like pointing to the tv i think is that yeah. comes out of there <laughs> but it also it shows and it has the caption that says mephisto and it shows like uh-huh. dotty like it, it shows a scene from each episode oh, mephisto 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> you know and but it, i think you're right if like the, the to make this work and make it believable i think that's a good way to read it because I I'm with yeah. you. I'm just still uh, I, I wavered last episode, but I'm I'm still not convinced it's Mephisto. It just doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it'll be a very satisfying way to go. You know, in this whole Agnes's hospitality, we kind of got excited and skipped to the major reveal at the end. Uh, so I do want to make sure we circle back and talk about one of the things that led up to it, which was Agnes offering to watch the kids and some of the creepy interactions that they had before Wanda comes over. It's funny, like the the entrance. Like she clearly at that point, you know, we saw in another episode where she didn't, she wasn't afraid to hide her powers, yeah. you know, and like Agnes had the same entrance right through the front door, completely let her in. I'd get up, but I don't want to kind of thing. And and so, and I loved Agnes's um, interviews and just the whole cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and yeah, uh, playing into that. But even still the creepiness things of like, oh, can you check this mole on my back? And, you know, I, I don't bite in the interview. I, I have bitten a child once (laughs) (laughs) and it was just so awesome um yeah uh, of there and again it was this sense of you know for the children kind of thing of like well 
when all the kids were saying, when all the kids, when all the people at the magic show were saying for the children, we get in, in her show open. She's clearly doing some kind of magic. There could be some kind of spell could be part of her contribution of for the children. She showed up for the kids to help them sleep. And that other episode, or I guess it was the eighties episode. And then she showed up just in time to take over for the kids here. Yeah. And if she was manipulating Pietro in in the previous episode, the majority of his interaction was for the children. So it, it, it makes sense mm-hmm. that like she is geared towards, you know, the kids in some way. Which makes their interactions so much funnier knowing because I, I go back and forth. I mean, you laid out a perfectly good reason of why the kids are pertinent and, you know, for the children and all that. But I go back to that line that she had a couple episodes ago where she's like, oh, kids, you can't control them. And we talked about how there was this double play on it where it's like, oh, you know, that's a throwaway line for a sitcom. But also it felt like a resignation on her inability to control them or anybody with magic able to control them. You know, we get some creepy conversations with the kids here and her reaction to some of the comments that the kids made felt genuine in a way that I don't think we see her be genuine elsewhere. And so I like this idea of whether or not the kids are intentional on whatever's happening there. She's kind of like freaked out by them and can't control them. And you get glimpses of that with, with this episode. Right. Well, I think I, I, I in my notes, I'm going to say Wiccan because in my I use their superhero names, Wiccan and Speed. Yeah. Wiccan, he had that line. That was, I like it here. It's quiet. And he already talked about like the noise, how loud it is. So it's clearly like he's struggling with his telepathy yeah, and learning how to control it. But he had that line of it's quiet here, like in your head, inside of you, which I don't know if I'm supposed to take that as Agatha being able to block him out as a witch or if there's an element of being like dead inside. Hmm. Like, like, I can see that going either way, and it's super creepy, because I think there's an implication of both. Well, it's because if we take what I said about Agnes, Agnes whatever, Agnes's reaction being genuine, she's freaked out by that line. So if she was actively suppressing her thoughts, that would feel like smugness there. Like, oh, she knows what she's doing. Right. So Wiccan's implication is something that's even a shock to her. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I picked up on the whole, it's quiet. I, I think I just immediately jumped on that. She's suppressing it, but now that we're thinking or talking about it now, I don't know. I'm going to have to keep paying attention to that. Yeah, so I'm I'm really, because you're right, their reaction was more, like it could have gone one or two ways. It could have go, wow, you're this kid's creepy, or like kid's creepy in a, I'm the neighbor, I invite kids over, I'm playing part of the sitcom role, the kid just said something creepy to me. Yeah. Or... It's creepy in the sense of, wow, he knows something more than I want him to. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe yeah. you know what? Who knows? Maybe I'm going to show this out there. Maybe Agatha is like Vision, can only exist inside the hex, and why she's quiet to him, and she wants out of the hex, and she needs Wanda for it. I the only thing I'd push back on that is that uh, Wiccan was able to hear Vision's thoughts when he was trapped outside the hex. He was able to pick up on vision with his telepathy. So okay, fair enough. May, maybe Again, that was like we'll that was just you know throwing something against the wall. Just you, you know, <laughs> so yeah. But it was definitely creeped me out. Well, like the whole the yeah. whole house, even the whole vibe of their house, you know, creeped me out. Like even before it gets to the part where Wanda gets trapped in the basement, just the house itself is unsettling. Yeah. Well, okay, so Wanda gets there, and and I and I realize I might be skipping ahead, but like talking about the unsettlingness, 
Wanda gets there, notices the kids aren't there. And I saw the, you know, Mr. Senor Scratchy, the, the, the rabbit, my first thought, and I get it, it's a bunny, but my first thought was lab rat. Like, oh, like, mm. like it's a lab rat. We're stuck in this cage or like the hex is this cage. I'm not sure what I think about on the single fly outside of it gave me very silence of the lambs kind of vibe. And again, that's not two thousands, but it gave me that. Yeah. Um, I think it was like that witchcraft imagery. Yeah. And then because there was a bunch, there was a bunch of flies in the basement too. Yeah. And then when she went downstairs, well, actually, now that you say that, I, I might have, I'm not going to say what it is, but I have a thought that it popped in my, my head about the fly, but I'm going to save that till I think about it some more. Uh-huh. But the other thing is when he, when, when Wanda went downstairs looking for the kids, my, my other thought was stranger things vibe, the upside down. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to know if like that kind of theme is what's going to be the theme for the next week's show. And we're going to really like hone into that episode to that, that genre. I don't know, but like, (laughs) but like, so yeah. So the whole thing with the kids, I think the kids said a lot and very little screen time. Yeah. I do like that. This one is more Billy centric where it felt like last week was Tommy uh, with speed Um, Uh because it showed a lot more of uh, Billy's empathy. Uh, he was asking about his mom. He's like, oh, someone's got to stay for his mom. Or, you know, the interaction he described with him and, and Agatha where he's like, you're quiet. They're doing a great job of giving different amount of screen time per episode without being too obvious. And we're learning more about the kids as we go yeah. along. Oh, I love the kids five at the beginning. I got here first. You <laughs> always get here first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I have a feeling we're not going to see them as kids. After this season, I would love to see more of just like MCU kids being right, like right. growing up. <laughs> right. Like that. Oh, that would be so I guess fun. give me more of the Malcolm in the Middle stuff. Yeah. Oh, that it's such a different look at the MCU because we don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for the bulk of our main topics, which will bring us to our stray thoughts. Jude, do you have any stray thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, Stray thoughts. I'm just going to scroll through my notes real quick and just kind of hit them. Um, I I feel like the show opening was The Office. Yep. Uh, I think there was hints of Parks and Rec and Community in there in the show open, but it was clearly Office. Um, mm-hmm. now, I mean, even down to the theme song. Yeah, not even not even watching the office regularly. You know, I've seen a couple of episodes. I was very clear like, Oh, this is the office. Um, the set was completely modern family. Like, yeah. So that, and the lighting, yeah. Lighting like, like, and I know that modern family is not the only show that does breaks the fourth wall, but yeah, that's, that's completely modern family. And I thought it was interesting. One of the open credits says, I know what you were doing, Wanda. Yeah. And in, in there, I thought that was really interesting. Um, we didn't see, it sounded ominous, uh, but we didn't get to see what Sword and Hayward was going to launch. But today they were going to launch it, mm-hmm. which I guess means we come back and it's still the same 24-hour period. Um, I loved my thought was like, oh, look, Ned Flanders, when she said ops abso-positively or how can it, you know, <laughs> uh, little Ned Flanders there. Just scrolling through. We'll talk commercial stuff in just a second. I think. Will we? I hope so. Oh, your predictions. Yeah, the predictions. So um, otherwise... I think that might have wrapped up my stray thoughts. Um, oh, and the one last thing. The theme song had a line said, Naughty Agatha. In her, it's been Agatha the whole time. And during uh-huh. the theme of the Halloween episode, Naughty is what was on her uh, sweatpants. Oh, that's a good catch, yeah. So those those were some of the, the little stray thought things Well, going through. Remember in the first, first episode where... 
uh, Agath- Agnes was doing like, um, oh God, I can't remember what it was. She was doing that expression where like multiple hands make quick work and multiple mouth make good gossip or something like that. And then Wanda goes, oh, you're so naughty or something like that. So it's like they've been emphasizing that naughty uh, moniker throughout the season. Oh, yeah. And you can take that in a number of different ways, you know? Yeah. yeah. But they, they clearly, you know, well, like the exchange with the mailman or not. Yeah, the mailman, where she's like, pew, pew, and we're like, what was that about? You know? So, no. you know, which he showed up, Stray thought, yeah. there, and he seemed very interested. Again, I feel like there's more to it with that, but at this point, it's like, I don't want it to be. I Let's just, I like Agatha. I like Catherine Hahn. Let's just do this. Me so, too. I, I will... S- I will say, yeah, there's definitely something there with the mailman. Uh, he, the shipping company he was working for was called Presto, and the logo was a bunny rabbit. So <laughs> clearly, clearly something's there. I'll say this, and I think, well, I think this is borrowing from you, I think, is where I heard it from. If Mephisto turns out to be in this, it's him. I think it's the mailman. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you borrowed it from me. I don't remember that, but yeah. Yeah. If, if he's going to be there, it's going to be through the mailman. He's definitely got something up with this. Oh, and Yo Gabba Gabba on the television. My girls loved watching Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> like I was Yo Gabba Gabba Yo. Like I was all into it when I saw that on there and just remembering the episode where Biz Marquis shows up and like teaches him how to beatbox on Yo Gabba Gabba. I'll talk to, I'll do my Yo Gabba Gabba podcast. I've seen him. Hey, we, like I said, I got room on the network. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'll run through mine real quick. Um, yeah, like I said, love the office homage and the theme song. Something that I thought was really interesting is how they emphasized Wanda. And it wasn't until the very last second that vision came into the title. Uh, and it's also to me, at least the read that I got that everything that it flashes to is in some way, a form of an identifier. So for example, it had license plates, it had skywriting, it had the, hello, my name is Wanda. Everything kept pointing. Uh, so I like that. The other thing that I was going to say that I don't think we have covered yet. Stray thought could the testimonials that we got be setting us up for Deadpool's inclusion, kind of training the audience to kind of get ready for that talking to the camera style in the MCU, even though there's a narrative reason for it. It could be an entry point that we have in the future. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Just basically because everything I've heard so far about how people could bring Deadpool in is where you still have Deadpool do the cut to the camera talks. But if we cut to another character, they look at Deadpool and he's just talking to nobody. And so I'm wondering if we're going to get the point in WandaVision where maybe we see some flashback where, say, for example, Dr. Lewis is giving her testimonial. But from a different perspective, we see her just talking to nobody. Yeah, like I completely would love to see that just getting off on a Deadpool and seeing like him turn and they're looking at him like you're talking to midair. You know, also like, no, I'm not. I'm talking to these guys. Like, and also I would love again, not a Deadpool episode, but I would love to, to, to just be outright in PG 13, not at rated R and bleep it and yeah. have his fourth wall recognize that. You know what I mean? Um, which I think mm-hmm. they did in the once upon a Deadpool, but back to WandaVision. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for my stray thoughts. Uh, so that leaves only predictions for episode eight. So Jude, do you have any predictions? Okay. So one I'm going to bring up and I'm going to run through it really quick. Um, I'm going to credit my, my friend Sean for this. He thinks Ultron's behind this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, at first it was a wild theory, but he's like seeing more and more and like kind of, cause it keeps age of Ultron keeps being brought up. Vision was, you know, Ultron's thing. There's this line where Ultron says in the flesh, but not yet. And, comic book knowledge like Ultron always comes back there's an element where Ultron does take over a human and so 
he thinks you know Ultron's can you know he, he again he realizes this is kind of out there, but Ultron might be controlling Haywood, and that's why he's trying to get Vision back online and trying to get Vision back. You know, so that there's that possibility. Just throwing that out there it was like he had a lot of good evidence for it in world yeah. evidence. It wasn't a stretch. One of the things I found interesting. Go back to the the commercial Nexus. Okay, basic definition of Nexus is it's a link or a connection. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so a nexus is a link or a connection. And then in, within the Marvel world itself, there is this thing where it's a dimensional gateway between realities. Right. So the whole commercial plays off as an antidepressant. Okay. But it says a unique antidepressant that works to anchor you back to your reality or the reality of your choice. Side effects, feeling your feelings, confronting your truth, seizing your destiny, and possibly more depression. But then it says, you should not take Nexus unless your doctor has cleared you to move on with your life because the world doesn't revolve around you, or does it? And so I feel like there's also an element of, yes, this is multiverse. This is the opening, and why I'm like going to hold out that hope that it is this Pietro because Wanda is create is the nexus that link or creating that link that's allowing Agatha to pull in from the uh, from the Fox universe. Yeah. So that was one way I took the commercial. Again, I'm maybe I'm trying to put something that's not there that's there out of my wishful thinking. <laughs> something else that I like I said, your turn. I've been on that limb for a while, so yeah. I think you're you have fair time in there yeah. too. Now, one other thing I, I didn't realize. The bunny rabbit, Senor Scratchy. I did wonder, okay, is that Pietro? Is Pietro the bunny rabbit? Agatha has a son that is Nicholas Scratch, who's a warlock. Uh huh. And so I'm wondering if, like, is that some way, like, Nicholas Scratch, like, Senor Scratchy being, like, kept captive in some way or being used in and out? And so that's why she always has the bunny. And then, you know, using Pietro, I don't know. It's it's a, it just found it interesting that like in the comic, you know, her son, Nicholas Scratch, and she has a bunny, Senor Scratchy. So I I don't again, it's, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out the Pietro connection. Thinking about those things, I yeah. you know, so it, it's it's not really predictions per se as much as it's you know, I'm still I, I still gonna hold out the. The thing that Pietro could be from that X-Men Fox universe. Highly unlikely at this mm-hmm. point. I get that. Um, but I still think there's evidence for that. So what about you? So for me, my... Well, I had a prediction. Well, my prediction's in two parts. Let me go ahead and say the first part. My prediction for next episode is we find out who Wu's missing contact is. Ooh, okay. When I wrote out my note, I wrote... We find, I'm going to go a step further and say, we find out that Pietro was Wu's missing person, but I forgot uh, Wu's already seen Pietro on the screen, so it can't be unless there's some more external mind shenanigans being played that Wu gets to forget who he put in there. Right. Well, remember, all his known, all the known contacts, all the known contacts didn't know that he existed. But wouldn't, wouldn't Wu recognize him if he saw him? Maybe. Okay, well, I won't, I won't completely put it back in the box, but we'll, we'll leave it open just in case. But I am saying we are going to find out who is the missing person next episode. All right. That's my guess. I, I hope so. Otherwise, that's a, you know, very Alfred Hitchcock-style MacGuffin. Yeah. You know? I, it's got 
I think the I think the missing person is going to be the thing that locks in what I was talking about earlier about swords messing with Vision. Wanda rescued Vision. Agatha Agatha was trying to capture Wanda. I think that fourth piece is going to be the missing person. Yeah, yeah, there's a good chance. So. Well, cool. I think that's going to do it for this episode. So if you have any thoughts or opinions on the episode or would like to chime in with your own predictions for episode eight, you can always reach us at know on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you'd like to write us an email, you can reach us at know at gmail.com. And if you don't mind, give us a review and a like on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. It really, the feedback really helps us out, helps us get noticed in terms of growing an audience. And the best way you can help is by sharing with a friend. And speaking of friends, if you would like to join a larger network of people who are excited about the MCU, WandaVision, and this podcast, you can always join our Discord, which is linked in the show notes. There's a lot of great people there. Uh, we have the Discord set up so that there's spoiler gate, so you can talk freely without having to worry about spoiling other people. And uh, it's been it's been really fun to get to theorize with everybody. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun there. And finally, we'd like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work linked in the description below. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Anyway, uh, I think we're, we're getting to the, the big reveal of the episode, which I have entitled Agnes's Hospitality. Uh, to kind of set the scene as Wanda's kind of reveling in that breakdown of just me, of just feeling like everything is meaningless. Oh, God damn. Let me just restart it. Yeah. Take it from the top. <laughs>